0: Job. It's always a good time as we kick off our, what we know as Holy Week, we think of Palm Sunday as this, this moment that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem to really kick off all of the events that we would uh, know culminates in Good Friday and Easter that we'll be celebrating this, this Friday and, and next Sunday. But it's the, the reminder of what Jesus came to do as we've been singing this morning, as the children have been shouting this morning, Hosanna, which means Lord, save us. And that's exactly what Jesus came to do. That's why he came to the earth. Everything he did was for the purpose of saving us. And normally on this Sunday, we would uh, study one of the accounts of the triumphal entry of Jesus going in, which is an amazing story as the, the streets were, were lined with the people uh, yelling and shouting, save us, Lord. But actually, as we've been in our miracle series, we're going to take a look at the miracle that really kicked off Holy Week. The last major miracle that Jesus did before he went into Jerusalem, uh, which was the raising of Lazarus. And this is such an amazing miracle. It's a big story, uh, but it really showcases the power of what Jesus was coming to save us from, which is death death itself. Now, I know what you're thinking at this point. Uh, We're going to be studying 44 verses in this sermon. Pastor Dom, I've seen you uh, preach for 40 minutes on two verses, so you're probably wondering what's going to happen here. We're going to go through it pretty quick today and and really uh, break it down in some major portions. But what we see is that throughout this whole miracle story, uh, God really contrasts people. That we definitely are not God and God is God, right? He can do what we cannot do. And we really see our shortcomings and his immense power and ability to see situations as a whole. And we see this uh, really uh, written around Lazarus, the man who dies. We don't really know much about except for in this story. And uh, his sisters, Mary and Martha, who we're kind of revisiting here. There's these familiar subjects that Jesus has been with in the past. Uh, but we see that the sisters have this plan. They have this plan for Jesus to come heal their brother who's sick, and then he doesn't. And we learn very quickly that God doesn't play by our rules, that God doesn't work according to our plans, but God often works in ways way greater than we could ever imagine, and it reminds us that we can't put God in our box, right, but we have to see him for who he is. And, and many who lined the streets that day on Palm Sunday were ones who probably had a different picture of God as king, had a picture of Jesus as king, different than what he really intended to do. In this miracle we see the same thing, that God doesn't play by our rules and he doesn't live in our box and that we have to trust him even when things don't make sense, and even when things hurt. And so we see through all of this, this great uh, compare and contrast of us between God, that God's ways are always higher, that God's heart is always bigger, and God's power is always greater than ours. We're going to start first with uh, this first section of uh, verses 1 through 16, as we see God's Providence compared to our plans. But before we read, I'm going to invite you to open up to John 11. Before we read today, I'm just going to pray for us as we begin our sermon. So Lord, we do thank you for all that you do, the ways you work that are well beyond what we can comprehend at times, but that we have the ability to trust you nonetheless, to have faith in you as God that you know exactly what needs to be done, that you love us more deeply than we could ever understand, and that you can work in ways that we could never imagine. And so, God, as we study this, I just pray, as, as we're considering the things that we're wrestling through in our own lives, the situations we're facing where we're just feeling exhausted and confused or hurt, as we look at the world around us and we see just the many ways that the world is so broken, things in our own communities, things around the world. We certainly pray for those things. We pray for things like Ukraine. We pray for the personal pain that people are feeling there and around the world. God, we know that there is a heart of compassion in you that's bigger than we could ever understand. But God, as we study this today, as we study your word, I pray you'd speak to us individually in the things that are weighing on us in our own hearts that you would calm us, that you'd give us this level of trust and faith that we can walk with you hand in hand through all of this, knowing there is a great plan and a purpose for all things in this life. God, may we trust you more. And I pray this through your power and in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's read. Now, verses 1 through 16. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When we had heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he had heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you. And yet you are going back? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. So we'll stop there this morning and really look at this first uh, compare and contrast between us and God that we often make plans, right? but God's providence, His knowledge, and His provision are, are greater than our plans. And the first important truth I want us to walk away with this morning we're looking at nine important truths from this, this uh, story today, but the first is that our plans are often very different than God's plans. Very different. Now, if you grew up like me, you probably watched the A-Team on TV. Remember that one with Mr. T? And he had Colonel Hannibal Smith, that very often uh, when they found themselves in these compromised and dangerous uh, situations, everything kind of worked out. And he so famously said over and over again, I love it when a plan comes together. Now, if you've been a functioning adult for more than, oh, five minutes, you know that plans very rarely come together. And most of our life is just spent kind of recalibrating and replanning and adjusting to the things that don't work out like we think they should. And it's no fun when everything goes awry. We've been in those situations. A couple years ago, uh, I had, uh, we had what we refer to as our failcation. Well, we tried uh, to plan this great vacation away. And as I describe my vacation plans to people, they often say, you don't know how to vacation, you're doing this wrong. And so we really needed to get away. That's not a comment against you guys or anything. We needed to get away, and we planned a bikepacking trip for four days with our then two-year-old toddler, And I spent months planning what kind of gear we needed and where we could go. We went to southeast Minnesota. Everything was going to be great. We had the whole trip and the journey planned. But then it rained and rained, and it rained three inches the first night we were there, and there's still a couple more coming the next day. We thought we could salvage this. Maybe we'll do some of the other things we thought about. So uh, we're going to take Mason to the fish hatchery. Uh, Nope, closed for construction. Now let's go to our favorite pastry place down there. Nope, closed for a grad party. And thing after thing failed. And what happened is we left Sunday at a three and came back kind of with the tail between our legs the next morning at uh, 11 a.m. We weren't even down there 24 hours and all the time spent out of the car was inside of the tent while it rained. And it was a bummer, right? Now that's trivial compared to what's happening here for these sisters, as they had a plan. Our brother Lazarus is deathly ill. And so our plan is to send word to Jesus to come and heal him so he doesn't die. This is a plan of faith. And they're calling out to Jesus as the only one that could help them in their situation. The man who had healed many people before as they saw. But Jesus didn't come. And their brother had died. And so here they are, left picking up the pieces of their failed plan, trying to understand what this all means, what Jesus means in the midst of all of this. And to them, Jesus had failed. Jesus failed their plans. And we put ourselves in similar positions all the time when we feel like God should operate according to our plans. But his providence is greater than our plans The next important truth is we have to understand that while we always have limited understandings of a situation, God always sees the full picture. Now, there's some smart people in this world. There's some smart and wise people in this room. But even our most logical thoughts can never fully account for the power and the providence of God. Human reasoning no matter how profound, we'll always fall short of the divine. And so often, our own logic and understanding keeps us from seeing and experiencing the miraculous. See, Jesus has a different plan. And in verses 4 through 7, we see him kind of respond in three head-scratching ways to this whole proposition when he receives word from these sisters to go back and heal Lazarus. The first thing he says is that this sickness won't end in death. But then 10 verses later, Jesus tells the disciples, Lazarus has died. So that's kind of confusing for them. And then he says, because he loved Lazarus and his sisters so much, he decided to stay for two more days. What that means is he's, he's deciding to stay until Lazarus dies. Now, we would view this as unloving, right? We would say, if you are allowing this to happen, you must not love me, and you feel betrayed by God. And this is just a reminder for us that when we don't understand or believe in God's providence, we let our feelings mislead us, and our feelings often lie to us. You're probably thinking at this moment, Jesus didn't hear us, Jesus doesn't care for us. But you can't trust your feelings, you have to trust the Lord, and let his truth shape your emotions. Don't let your emotions shape the truth. And then he tells the disciples, the third head-scratching moment for them is let's go back to Judea. Now, Jesus was almost just killed here a few weeks ago. And this isn't making any sense to them. So the disciples kind of contend this idea. Again, probably one of those humorous moments you assume they're all looking at each other and elbowing Peter. Say something here. And it's like, uh, no offense, Rabbi, but maybe your memory's failing you. You almost just died there. And now you're saying we're going to go back. And that's actually the logical way to look at this, right? Any logical person would come to that assumption. But God sees the picture differently than us. And his plans are often different than ours. The last truth we get from this section is that God sees obstacles much differently. Than we do. We often see the world through the perspective of our, of our own limitations. And Jesus faced many obstacles just in this sermon series alone. He, he faced the obstacles of, of the lack of food. That wasn't an obstacle for him. Of the stormy sea. Well, he could just walk on top of that. Last week, of a paralyzed man with sin. That was no obstacle for him. And today, now, this dead man whom he loves in the tomb was not an obstacle. Even the danger he would face as he goes was not an obstacle. And he responds talking about the light of day, that you don't stumble in the light. And essentially what he's saying is that I am the light, right? And I can see the world clearly. And for as long as I am here and my light is shining, there is no danger. And so they took off for Judea. The natural question we often ask in these moments in our lives is, why? Why, God, do you choose to do it the hard way? Why did you wait until Lazarus was dead to go back to raise him from the dead? Wouldn't it have been easier just to heal him while he was sick? And the truth is that we have to understand everything is easy for God. There's no such thing as the hard way for him. And really, the answer to all of this confusion is unlocked in verse 4. When he says, It is for God's glory that all this will happen, that God's Son may be glorified through it. See, it's when all the odds are stacked against Jesus, when he does things the hard way again. It's not the hard way for him. It's the hard way for us. It's when it so clearly illustrates his love and his power over all things, that obstacles are not obstacles for him. That there's a greater purpose in all we see today. And that through everything, no matter what you're facing, God can be glorified in it. Because everything is easy to Him and there are no obstacles. And many of you are facing these obstacles today. Feeling stuck with no way out. God can be glorified in it. And when you have faith in Him to do the impossible, God will be glorified, whether it's the fact that you're jobless or in a dead-end job, you're dealing with some sort of debilitating sickness, maybe you're stuck in what feels like a hopeless marriage or a dysfunctional family. Whatever it is you're facing, God can be glorified in that. And our natural response is, how do I get out of this as quickly as possible? But I think for the mature Christian, The question should be, how can God be glorified through this? When things don't make sense, when things hurt, we have to remember that God is always in control. He has a greater plan. that can be glorified in every situation. Because we know through it all that God loves you. When we get to the middle portion of the story today, that's exactly what we see is that we have great pain in this world. Sorrow, grief, sadness. But God's compassion is greater than our pain. And he loves you deeply through all of it. So Jesus now is arriving into town. He meets both sisters. And he has some amazing moments with them. Before the tomb, let's go on in the story here now and read 17 through 37. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha had heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary had heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Well, in the middle portion of this text, we kind of see that we're setting up for the amazing. right? If you know this story, you know what's about to happen. But we really see how much God really loves us, how much Jesus loved these people. And the important truth here, the first, is that we have to understand that God is working. God is with you, even when it really hurts. And we get so easily confused by our pain It can lead us to believe a lot of things that aren't true. And Martha here meets Jesus and instantly kind of expresses her disappointment that it didn't go to plan. Again, this is not irrational. This is built on on faith in Jesus that only he could heal her brother, and that's exactly who she sent for. But he wasn't there. She says, Jesus, if you had just been here, then my brother wouldn't Have died and often we let our problems determine what we believe is true God had something much greater planned and sometimes we can feel betrayed or neglected and and believe lies like God doesn't care about me if he was just here if He just cared about me he would have been here and we don't know at this point did the sisters hear from the disciples that Jesus had waited a couple of days that probably would have compounded this feeling of betrayal by Jesus. And, and Martha is the one who said, Look, you weren't here, and now we're in this mess, but I guess, you know, you are God, so you can do whatever it is you want to do. So there was kind of that, that co- uh, caveat there. But often we think in these moments, when, when we're honest about our feelings, we feel that God either uh, doesn't care about us or he just forgets about us. Because God doesn't work in our timing, he doesn't work in our plans so we lay down our own conditions of how God should work, which then creates our own pain. We're coming in with these narrow scopes of how God should work. And we have these same kind of if statements. Mary had the same statement as Martha. If you had just been here, then my brother wouldn't have died. We create these statements all the time when we're honest with ourselves. God, if you really loved me, then you'd give me this job. If you really cared about me, then, then you would understand what I really want here. And God often is saying, just hold on. Trust me, be patient. And it's great that the Bible doesn't tell us that God will give you exactly what you ask for and imagine. But instead, we're told that God will give us abundantly more than we ever ask for or imagine. And something we have to understand in the faith is that even when it hurts and it doesn't make sense, God is working. And to be wise is to trust in the Lord and not your own understanding and to acknowledge him in all things. To know he is there and he is at work. We also understand from this text that there is no such thing as a hopeless situation for those who are in Christ now, there's many things we experience in life that feel hopeless, right? And nothing more so than death itself. The way of the world is that when you die, it's done. Death is the most hopeless situation that a person can face, but not if you are in Christ. Now, there's something happening here in the subtext that we don't understand and that is for the Jewish believer there's this superstition this is not built on any biblical idea but culturally they believed that when a person died the spirit would hover over the body for three days hoping to be reunited with it but once you got to the fourth day the spirit left and now they're super super dead right no more hope at all and now Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days they felt completely hopeless. And up until this point, death had always had the final word before Jesus. The only hope they had was in the future resurrection, the future event, right, of the resurrection of the believers. And that's when Jesus says to Martha, your brother will rise again. The first thing she thinks of is, yeah, I know, sometime in the future, all the, all the believers will resurrect again. But Jesus responds with a very short yet profound statement And he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not I can resurrect and I have life, but I am the resurrection and the life. And with this statement, Jesus is overthrowing everything they knew about death and the natural order of the world. That for a long, long time, death ruled over people like a tyrant. But our hope is not in some event or in our own understanding, but in a person. The person of Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. That nothing can hinder him. Not our own rules, our knowledge, or understanding. There is no hopeless situation, because we have hope in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. And this now, the statement becomes a foreshadow of what Jesus would be doing very shortly on the cross. and the tomb, as he raises from it on Easter morning. Jesus is different than any other person. See, every other person has life, and at some point, death takes that life from us. But Jesus is life. Death does not take his life. Jesus gave his life to death. And death did not keep his life. Jesus rose from death to claim victory over it. And Jesus makes this great promise in verse 26. 25 and 26, that the one who believes in him will live even though they die in an earthly sense. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Death no longer wins. And soon he will be before the tomb of Lazarus, about to illustrate this to all those who would see and believe. And this is why Christians always live with great hope of the future. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life or around you. Things hurt, things don't make sense. But we never have a hopeless situation when you believe in Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life. came in such great compassion and love for the world to save us from all things, namely sin and death. He's the only one we can trust with our lives, and so to him we give our lives. But then one last amazing part happens before really the meat of the miracle, is that Jesus wept. We understand through this that what grieves us oftentimes also grieves God. Jesus doesn't like sickness and death any more than we do. And here he is mourning with those who are mourning before the tomb. That we see the words that he was troubled in spirit and deeply moved. And what this really means is that Jesus was kind of angry. He was righteously angry and indignant about the fact that all these people were so grieved by this death. Jesus here is one who comes into the world with death as his enemy. He came to fight death because he hates death. What grieves us also grieves God. And so he wept with compassion for the people. Even though he knew what he was about to do, Jesus cares deeply for his people. What happens next is showing his mastery over death that he hates. In this last portion, we really see how God's power is greater than any of our weaknesses. In fact, God's power is greatest in our weaknesses. It really showcases that God is God and we are not. And this miracle is so much bigger than just removing grief from the sisters and the crowd that gathered around the tomb, but to showcase the immense power of God over even death. The last section we read here is 38 through 44. And so Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The first truth I want us to walk away from this section is that our faith should never be conditional or situational. Now again, we look back to both of those if-then statements from the sisters. If you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. That's, That's the basic of a conditional statement, right? The conditions in which I would carry an umbrella. If it's raining outside, then I would carry an umbrella. And when you view your faith like this, it really cripples your faith because then it becomes situational. I had a friend in high school. I know if you know my story, I really became a Christian when I was later in high school. I was was really... um, Kind of, I was raised in the, in the church going home, but it never became personal or real for me until I was later in high school. And there's a friend in a similar situation as me, and we went to the same youth group together for a number of years. And then I went into that youth group, and I, I went into the, the faith just kind of with this wide-open uh, perspective of I, I don't really know who God is, but I want to learn, right? And I want to know who He is, and I, I deepened in my faith a lot during that time. But my friend kind of went the opposite direction, And he had a very narrow view of who God was. And everything became a challenge for him because he came in with these conditions. We read stuff in the Bible that that challenged the preconceived conditions he had about God. And there's just so much for him to struggle through. But really kind of the crippling part for him was he, he was a smart guy. And he wanted to go to a prestigious school. In our senior year, he applied for Yale, Harvard, and Columbia. He didn't get into any of them. But he thought Stanford is the one that I'm going to get into. And he laid down this condition. I remember we talked through it, and he said, If God is real, then I'll get into Stanford. And if I get into Stanford, then I'll study religion and I'll give my life to Him. He didn't get into Stanford. And to this day, I don't believe he's walking with the Lord if you're not careful, when you create this conditional faith, we all fall into the same traps. And, and we see it work out differently for Mary and Martha, but they came in with a pretty narrow view. If God loved me, if Jesus really cared about me, he'll come when I send word for him and heal my brother Lazarus. That didn't happen. And now they find themselves in a situation where it feels like all hope is lost. He's dead. We have this but Lord moment from Martha when when Jesus wants to go into the tomb. They probably assume Jesus wants to go into mourn over this dead brother of theirs whom Jesus loved. Again, their mind is resolved. It's over. It's done. And so their faith is being viewed through this situation in this moment where Martha says, "But, but Lord, he's dead and he probably smells by now. The King James puts it kind of funny. But Lord... By this time, he stinketh, right? And so she's seeing this whole thing through her own lens. And, and this, these words, but Lord, or but God, those are things that creep into our lives as well. But God, you don't understand the situation like I do. Maybe he's calling you to do something that's uncomfortable. But, but God, I, I wanted to go the other way here. You read something that's challenging. And, but God, the world is different now. But God are the words of someone with a situational faith. which you are saying, "God, I see the situation more clearly than you, or the situation determines how I see you." And that's what's happening here. It's a resurrection or a, a raising into the life is not in the minds of Martha or anyone in the crowd at this point. And so this is the, the moment where the story really pivots. the miracle pivots. They had their if-then statements, and Jesus gives an if-then conditional statement of his own. And He says, if you were to just believe in me, then you will see the glory of God. And rather coming into the faith with this narrow view of how things should work, Jesus is saying, let's open that up a bit, okay? Believe. Believe that, that I am God and I have great providence over every situation. Believe that I am God and I care for you more than you would ever know. Believe that I am God and I have power over every situation you could ever imagine. if you believe that, right, that's a wide scope, then you will see the glory of God. And so we asked them to roll the stone away. And that's exactly what they did. But before that, we have this important prayer that, that Jesus really illustrates again that miracles are not this display of our faith. Right? It's a display of his power. There's still a lot of people here who probably don't understand what's about to happen. It's not in their minds. And so Jesus has this prayer of, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. And I say this not for, uh, for myself, but for the benefit of the people around me. Jesus is praying out loud so he knows very clearly, they know very clearly he is the Son of God. And that what's about to happen is not by chance. It's because of his power. And he's saying, may this, what's about to happen, deepen their faith in me. And may it validate that I am exactly who I say I am. That I am the resurrection and the life. And Jesus calls out to Lazarus to come out of the tomb. And that's exactly what happens. The last truth is that we understand that God has complete and final authority In every situation, there's nothing that is outside of God's control. And Jesus told his disciples shortly before he ascended to heaven that all authority on heaven and earth has been granted to me. There is nothing outside of the authority of Christ. And so he says to Lazarus, come out. or Wake up. It's also translated... I read some uh, uh, some commentaries that he spoke with such authority. If he hadn't designated Lazarus to come out, <laughs> that all the dead bodies in the region would have rose out of the ground. And that's how much power and authority Christ has in every situation. He calls out in a loud voice. We see, we didn't, we didn't have. He didn't have to do that, right? He could have whispered it or even thought it, and it would have happened. But this is for the benefit of those around them that they could see Jesus was the one who raised Lazarus from the dead. A clear cause and effect to illustrate Jesus was so much more than just a good carpenter or a great teacher or the miracle man, that Jesus is Lord with complete and final authority over all things, even death itself, that he is the resurrection and the life. And that this would serve as a foreshadow of what would come soon. That Jesus himself would raise from the grave. That this really technically was a resuscitation. A resurrection is someone who is raised from the dead into a final and glorified eternal form. There's only been one resurrection up to this point, Jesus. Soon we will all be resurrected with Jesus in our final glorified bodies. Lazarus died again. Okay, this is, this is him coming to life momentarily. But what this was is the first blow towards death. But on Easter, it would be the knockout punch. And few passages are filled with more hope than this one. That We read that there's no occasion in which one can feel more hopeless than death. But Jesus has power. And Jesus has the final word. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. As we conclude this miracle, it's important to note that this isn't just some story about a stinky guy in a tomb that came out four days later to the amazement of a small crowd. This is not a story about Lazarus. This is a story about Jesus. This miracle shows that he has great providence and compassion and power over every situation in our life, and there's none greater that's ever walked the earth than Jesus. But in a way, it's also about us, that we're not so different than Lazarus. Like Lazarus, without Jesus, we are dead, and we kind of stink. Right? The Bible tells us That we are dead in our our transgressions and our sins. We're in a tomb with no way out until Jesus calls us out. Like Lazarus, we can be raised into a new life through his power and compassion when he calls us to come. This new life begins the moment you place your faith in Jesus. You come out of this grave, this trap of sin. And you can remove your grave clothes and be set free. And it's in that moment, it's not us that is glorified, but the Son of God, that only He could do that. Only He could save us. That only He is Lord. And when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this great reminder of what you do in all of our lives, that all of us who have been called out of sin are a walking miracle just like Lazarus. That is something only you can do, and there's no one facing a hopeless situation today. So, God, I pray for anyone who's struggling through these things, these, these, these moments or these situations, they feel like there's no way out, that they're stuck. God, you can overcome any obstacle. For you, nothing is hard. But ultimately, God, you come to save sinners. And I pray for anyone who has not put their faith in you, that they'd understand that they are in a grave right now. with, a, with a, It's sealed in a way that no one could open it. But through your power, Lord, you can call us out. That it's just trusting in you, God, understanding that our sin equals death but believing that you paid the price for our death and you call us to follow you, that we confess you as Lord. So God, I pray for anyone who's making that decision now or soon, for all of us who have made that decision that we continue to walk with you in great trust and faith in all situations. But Lord, may we always remember that you are greater than any obstacle we face, even death itself, that you are our life. For that, Lord, we worship you, we praise you, and we give you thanks. We pray all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.